Hey, fellow GNTers, those of us who like our spirituality with a twist. Today we have a different kind of interview episode. One of the things Daniel and I really want to do is to have on people who are living their spirituality in their daily lives, in their lives in the world. So today our special guest is Samantha Berkey. She is a licensed registered psychiatric and aesthetic nurse, but she sees her true calling as helping individuals find self-love, appreciation, empowerment, and clarity. What's especially interesting for our show, though, is that she also sees that calling as an expression of her own personal experiential journey towards self-discovery and self-mastery. So she is trying to share and pass on the fruits of her own insight and growth, a noble project, and so definitely a fellow G&Tier. In part one of our two-part interview, we looked at Samantha's work as an inpatient mental health nurse, especially her work with depression and teenage girls. This led to discussions of shame and guilt, the massive upturn in mental health problems affecting girls in our culture, and the factors related to that, especially social media and problems within families. So obviously a lot and all of it really important. So enjoy this important interview. Welcome to Gin and Tantra, Spirituality with a Twist, the podcast that takes Tantrism, Buddhism, Taoism, Sufism, Kabbalism, Shamanism, Chinese medicineism, <laughs> and all of the other isms we've been influenced by, and blends them into a tall, crisp, cool cocktail, your spirit has been longing for. Now, isn't that refreshing? I want you to get together. So if I understand what Daniel was talking about from sort of our pre-show meeting was you're really working with, uh, you know, more kids in their teens now. That's specifically the population you're dealing with. Yes. Is Is that... Okay. Yes. That's so that correct. would be something like parents might be a little bit more reluctant to bring their teenage kids in because they are maybe more afraid for like infectious disease ridden reasons, right? I suppose oh. that could happen. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and this this has been like a, a very different experience for me having to deal with the parents too and having, you know, um, you have to call them for everything. You know, they the girls don't necessarily have as many rights as say the adults do, you know, because the parents are really kind of in control of of what's happening. Um, They have rights in terms of saying, no, I'm not going to take this medication, but um, it really, it prolongs their stay. And um, yeah. Oh, so you do have like, you do have like teenage patients who might be, I refuse to take that. And that's just how it is. huh? They have a right to do that. Well, I mean, we can't, we cannot force yeah. feed medication down someone's throat. So if they're refusing, they're refusing. Hmm. So, hmm. so, you know, the, you know, it's going to be a difficult question to answer, but you know, the, the, the rates of, and Eric, you can maybe talk about this, but you know, I, I want to try to give, uh, you know, people who hear this and, and, and an idea of, you know, what society is doing to its youth. Right. So, Eric, you, you looked up some stuff because you have a 17 year old daughter and, you know, Samantha is working with people directly in that age range. Um, if you want to share some of that information, if you have it available. Yeah, that was really something. Yeah, we were talking again in the you know, pre-show meeting where Daniel and I always do a little chat around this and think, OK, what are the kind of things that we want to try to pick people's brains about when they're coming on? And 
I could, you know, we got, we try to do a little personal with this too. So I have my 17 year old Gen Zer, and I would say around when she hit probably seventh or eighth grade, and she ended up at school in Chicago called Lane Tech, which is sort of a selective enrollment, I guess you'd say, right? So she was sort of in the Lane Tech school, and there was this explosion of mental health problems, you know, and I wouldn't say it was, you know, one particular gender, but I was, it was, from a parent's point of view, it was kind of shocking. You know, you sort of know all kids are going to go through their issues, but there was this kind of uh, just eruption of like self-harm and suicide packs and all of this crazy shit went down. And so all of a sudden I was thinking, I was just because of what was happening. I was like, so what's, what's going on? <laughs> what is going on? And I got really interested in this question. So, you know, great to have you on, Samantha, to talk about this, you know, give your impression. But I was just, I got curious, like, what is happening? And the way I've seen the, the statistics, and I guess I'll share them in a second, but first I'll just get your general impression, Samantha, is there's this explosion of um, things like depressive disorders and disorders that would involve self-harm just amongst teenage girls. Um, I got the stats, but I thought I would, you know, maybe I'll just, you know, get your impression on that because you're, you know, you're there in the trenches dealing with this. Is that something that you feel like you've seen? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's so prevalent, especially on the residential facility. Um, in the hospital, we do have people that come in with a history of self-harm and it does happen, but I would say much less, less frequently than what I'm seeing in the residential facility, much less frequently. Um, but then again, I mean, in the hospital, I'm working with 18 and older. Um, oh, okay. So, it, yeah, so, so it's it is, a different group patients. Correct. Um, so at the residential facility, um, it is an everyday occurrence, an everyday occurrence. There's not, I don't think there's a single day that I've been there where there was not self-harm. So the stats are kind of saying that there's a big difference between even like millennial folks, um, which I'd probably both you and Daniel, right? Are you both millennials? Yeah, we're millennials. We're, <laughs> You're both millennials. You know, I'm the. You know how we know I'm, we're millennials is we're on our phones right now. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I'm the Gen Z. I'm the Gen X guy who's slightly uncomfortable, like from afar, <laughs> struggling through it. Um, I actually, to be honest, this has nothing to do with any of this, but I just had to, Daniel and I are doing stuff for the show, and I had to open like my first Facebook account, of which I had none. I had like no social social media presence whatsoever like true gen x person i suppose <laughs> anyways on the serious side of it um you know i looked into it and i you know I, again i'm really i guess the, the thing that was so concerning was just you know the 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 way that societal factors are coming down hard on girls that's the big thing that really has been close to my heart okay so i'll i'll, I'll throw them past you uh, daniel and samantha and you'll kind of give me your reactions so there's been upticks in boys with mood disorders so you're sort of more like Gen Z boys. They're up a little bit. I want to say it's like a 5% to like was initial mood disorder. So we're talking about like major, major depressive disorders, Samantha. So like that, um, but for girls, apparently like a cutoff point is around 2010, 2011. All these numbers start to spike. Um, and like I said, I was just, you know, especially interested because I was just seeing amongst you know, my daughter. And, uh, not my daughter. My daughter, you know, has been pretty stable person and i'm very proud of her for that but uh for girls it was major depression someone who's had a major depressive episode um went from like 12 to 20 percent um and then the um self-harming was a big jump um 
up in girls, I guess, around 2009. So they're talking about uh, 10 to 15 year olds. And I think it's the, st the stats that I saw. Oh, no, uh, 15 and up more 62% uh, jump and in preteens 10 to 14. And it was like a, so shocking to see this. There's like a 189% increase wow. in self-harm, like cutting yeah. in preteen girls starting around 2010. Um, so I don't know, it's this, this whole set of numbers and it's, it's scary and it, it really makes you realize that there's a serious mental health crisis affecting girls. And, you know, Daniel and I do like to bash on social media when we can. So there's a little, there's a little bashing on social media here is probably, you know, one of the major factors that I've seen um, uh, where part of it would be things like online bullying and that aspect of social media. Um, the aspect of like social comparison where girls are kind of, you know, being compared with other girls, either in terms of appearance or you have to put things out and you're constantly looking for how people are reacting to what you're sending out there. Um, and I guess related to that would be this feeling of sort of like social exclusion that you, there's this pressure that uh, I think all kids probably feel, but I think there's a, like the idea that's a little bit more acutely affecting girls where, you know, you're, you're waiting for social approval. You're waiting for feedback on what you're doing in terms of your social media. And like, it's very anxiety inducing. Does any of that match your experience? Does that seem right? These are things I've heard people talking about trying to explain the statistics. Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong, but yeah, you know, almost better than us because you're dealing with that population for sure. And you know, as well as the statisticians. Um, well, yeah, definitely. I definitely think that, I definitely think that uh, social media plays a huge part in it. Um, and the first thing I thought of before you even said it was the comparison piece. Um, looking inside someone else's life, seeing like all the wonderful things that they're doing and the things that they're experiencing and I'm not, and what's wrong with me, you know, and you know, how come I'm not living that life or looking that way? And um, so that definitely plays a really large role in it. But I mean, their relationship with their family and their parents are, are huge too. I mean, um, yeah, it's not like a single factor thing. Obviously there's multiple things going on, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I guess the, the I guess the striking thing was like the huge upturn. Cause it's something you have to try to explain, I suppose. Right. I mean, I guess there's always been bad families and, you know, dysfunctional parents, parents and all that, but there's this huge surge. And I guess that's the cryptic part. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, but... could, we could lay blame right on it. I mean, you know, that's the variable in all of this, right? I mean, Daniel, people... Daniel, I have a tacit understanding that every other episode we're going to bash the crap out of social media. Figure <laughs> 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 out some way to get in there one way or the other. It can't defend itself, which makes it a very easy target. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And number two, it can't defend itself. <laughs> <laughs> well, also it's sort of at least semi-evil so okay yeah yeah so yeah, there's, a there's a little there's a little kicking around yeah. yeah so my question earlier was uh do you feel you know, you know how do you, how much do you feel that social media has a role in the uptick in you know, mental events, we'll call it, right? You know, whether it be self-harm or increased feelings of anxiety or depression or whatever the case is, because as Eric pointed out, 
everything is still relatively the same. Of course, there's always going to be social pressures on boys and girls to fit in, to look cool, to have new stuff and, you know, keep up with everybody else. But that doesn't necessarily explain why there's such a huge jump in, um, in these events. And for me, you know, understanding kind of or studying, you know, a little bit of psychology from a, from a shamanic perspective, we have a, a very large need to fit in right? Not just because we wanted to be part of a group, but because based on our evolution, that was key to survival. It wasn't just about, you know, looking like you have the newest pants at school, but it was literally life or death for you and for your offspring. So if you were outcasted from a village, let's say, you would have to go live on your own and you weren't going to survive and your progeny would not survive because they would only have you to rely on. And maybe more importantly, you wouldn't even be able to produce offspring because now you're the last of your kind. And that would be the end of that. So really the social fabric, right? The social network, if we can use the, that term in a positive way, was key for people's survival. And because those uh, evolutionary instincts are so deep within us, if we can do a callback to our um, uh, network um uh, what was that called again? Oh, damn it. I lost it. Oh, the, uh, the thing you're network talking about. The, the default yeah, yeah. yeah, the yeah, default yeah. mode network, right? We, we, that they're so ingrained in that default mode network in our brains and, and helping to um, identify like not just threats and positives, but also keeping us ingrained with each other, right? Emotional intelligence, learning how to communicate. And all, you know, you know Daniel, the, the, I don't want to like cut your flow, but you know, the, the stereotype of that is that, you know, both you know boys and girls they're both aggressive right boys are more like physically aggressive right um but girls are sort of potentially more socially aggressive so even the pressures maybe that if we're talking about girls in particular they might feel are just different because boy aggression would be like now i'll jump you in and pound on you you know and you'll have to physically defend yourself where girl aggression might be a little bit more the social kind of cues and how you survive within a social sphere kind of related to some of the things you're talking about. How do I survive within the social milieu? Right. Mm -hmm. And for girls, there's a lot of this sort of, I know, very like, I mean, I'm watching my daughter through this very kind of, how do I handle the social norms? Right. How do I make sure I give the right response? And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, how do I avoid, you know, looking wrong or something, you know, in the way that someone might social react and kind of, um, yeah, more of a social attack rather than a physical attack. Hmm. Yeah. Well, something that's coming up for me while we're talking about this is the idea that before social media, yes, you know, we were having these, you know, social, we were socializing with our peers and people were still bullying and all these things were happening, but you could go home and you could be with your family and you could kind of somehow do something that was soothing for yourself to kind of bring yourself back to balance. Whereas here, like now in this time, you are constantly connected all of the time and constantly getting possibly like that negative feedback or, you know, whatever your perception is at that time. So not really giving yourself any time to rest from that and, and, and get, you know, be able to soothe yourself with time away. When you flash back to your own, I mean, I'm putting you a little bit on the spot with this, but when you, you know, you're the, 
you're the female voice in the podcast, right? So I guess if Daniel and I, if we were talking about, my recollection would be in that age range when I was, you know, the, the vulnerable age we're talking about with sort of the patients you're dealing with, I can remember being concerned about kind of like physical violence, but I don't know if I thought as much about what other people thought about me exactly. I don't know how that was for you, Daniel. There was like physical violence, you know, some dude that might have to defend myself physically. But I don't know if I was thinking about the sort of the more like social violence. But how was that for you when you were a teenager, Samantha? Do you go back in the time machine and go, you kind of remember that was what was that what that was like? And did you oh. feel that social aggression kind of part that people talk about? Um, I was definitely affected by by, you know, concerns of um, worried about being accepted, um, worrying about. Um, not being enough, worried about answering the question wrong or, you know, like worried that I wasn't going to get it right, not wanting to speak my mind because I was afraid. Absolutely. I experienced all of that. Yeah. Um, so what you're, you're talking about now is experiencing all of that. Then it's like magnetized because you can never turn it off, essentially. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I had like well, this. Oh, go ahead, Daniel. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just going to say that like you know, I, for myself, definitely there was a physical part, like how you mentioned, you know, I, you know, there's some areas where, you know, we just stayed away from when I was growing up. Right. And some places you ran through quickly cause you didn't want to be there for a long period of time. Um, but then like to Sam's point, once you got, once you kind of got home and you were around your friends or around your whomever, you know, that stuff kind of went away and then you were on to the next day and it was sort of a, you know, a relatively acceptable repetition on some level, but then you were only sort of competing if we can talk about it in that way with the people who went to your school, that was it. Like the cool kids had all the new, whatever, right. The new Jordans or the new whatever, but that was kind of it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Whereas now you're not just competing with the kids at your school anymore, right? You're competing with everybody in your generation on that platform. Yeah. What's and so the, the yeah. pool of the pool of people is so much deeper. The pool of wealth is so much deeper and the amount of stuff is infinitely more now than it was before. And then it's not just what do you have, but it's how many, you know, how many people do you have that follow you? How many likes did you get? You know, all these things that are very addictive and may, and, and pull at those deep triggers for us to be accepted. You know, are you basically, they're asking, are you going to be accepted as much as the next person? And if the answer is not, that's like deeply wounding. And then sometimes it's, wounding on an external perspective on an external level it is true because you really can't get out of the environment that you're in the population that you're in you can't have someone that doesn't know you from like the next town or something like everyone's going to know who you are it's astonishing actually if you don't have kids and you're not around this you know being around again my 17 year old like all these kids every kid in the city knows every other kid in the city roundabout some way or another it's kind of a trip you know yeah absolutely and, yeah so my for my daughter there's like two things that have come up <laughs> one is that she wants a boyfriend and i'm like there must be some dude in this city and she's like i know every dude in this city <laughs> you know, there's, there's no... always the there's always the next city <laughs> yeah, i think it's gonna start checking out like milwaukee or something uh and the other part is just there is a comparison thing and there was at some point she came home and like was talking about this and it's a sort of a point of teasing you were bringing up the air jordans uh uh yeah daniel so my daughter on some, i don't know how it even happened and it was a couple of years ago but there was a list of the cutest girls in the city of chicago or something amongst these people who know each other and uh my daughter was number 23 which i'll never forget because it's michael's number 
-hmm. <laughs> so I always have to go like, okay, number 23. <laughs> but the interconnectivity is kind of crazy and there's kind of no getting away from it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. And, and you're saying that they were ranking the cutest girls in the city? Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. It was, all, it was all comparison. It was all ranking. Yeah. Well, that's how Facebook started. That's true. Here. That is the Facebook starting, isn't it? Right. Judging. So it started based on judgment and how attractive was someone else, you know? Sure. Um, so, so, in, so in your interactions with the patients that you're working with, is this something where you, you talk with the inpatients about this? Are you having conversations as much or are you doing more of the, the care aspect or you get to talk with the girls about what they're going through more? So that's kind of my bread and butter. I, I feel like it's a lot more therapeutic communication. Um, I am not a huge fan of medication, especially for people who are like 15 years old. There are some girls there that are on like 20 different medications mm -hmm. and they are not, they're having a hard time being able to express themselves and they're relying on the medication. So they're constantly coming up. Can I get a PRN. A PRN is basically a medication that you would get. It's on request, right? So I'm feeling anxious. Seven out of 10, can I get a PRN? Mm -hmm. Is like what, what the request is. And I like to pull them aside and say, well, let's, let's, let's chat a little bit. Let's see what's going on. Um, so there is a lot of therapeutic communication going on. There is a lot of um, trying to shift that mindset. We don't want these girls going home relying on their medication. You know, so yeah, Daniel bring, was bringing up the medical problem for like once you're on an anti-anxiety, but it's not the easiest thing in the world to stop taking those things, right? Yes, the uh, the benzos, the benzodiazepines, yeah. they have a lot of addictive pro properties. Yes. So, so yeah, go ahead, Daniel. Let me ask you. Um, you know, you're you're talking about you know we're we're talking now about kind of like mental health, teenage mental health, really specifically the role of kind of social media, social pressures. And, and how that negatively is affecting people. Um, what are some of the factors that you can think of off the top of your head that are sort of shared by a lot of these younger girls? Because we're talking about a specific demographic. Can you think of any that would be? Yeah, I guess it's because you're talking to these girls. And so you're going to have the take of like, you know, there's statistics, but there's what you're actually experiencing in your conversations with them. What are they talking about, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I would say probably like 90% of the people I talk to um, are having difficult relationships with their family. Okay. So feeling that they're not very supported, um, feeling like maybe they don't even have any friends. Um, so feeling very lonely, feeling like they are worthless um, or having a lot of shame and guilt because their parents want them to be some way that they are not. Um, we get that a lot with the gender dysphoria, you, you know, the, so, yeah. um, you get a lot of these young girls who want to please their family, but because it's not who they are and then not the way that they want to express themselves, um, they, they end up harming themselves because, because they feel shame and guilt. You know, what's striking about that is with all this talk about the social media thing, it still is boiling down to how people feel in the context of their family, I guess like uh, the biggest percentage that seems to be what you're saying, Samantha, right? 
It, it is a really big piece of it. I mean, I would say like phone call time, we have designated times for phone conversations. So when they are on the phone with their family, that's like when all the tears, that's when all of the behavioral issues start to come up mm. are right after talking with family. Mm. So I guess in like, again, we're being personal about it with the, you know, the raising of my daughter, that was something I thought, well, you know, the outer environment is hostile enough. So we got to make an environment that's supportive, right? Internally, I guess a lot of families, families probably just can't do that. Right. Well, right. And a lot of, a lot of the reactions and um, feelings that the kids are experiencing are also learned behaviors from, from the household, right? So, you know, I've, I've seen it multiple times where we have separate lodges. So there's a lodge, there's a couple lodges for the adolescents and then a few lodges for adults. And then we have a couple lodges that are specific for substance abuse. And we oftentimes will have a mother daughter there at the same time hmm. where mom is on one lodge and daughter is on the other lodge. And, hmm. you know, they're dealing with very, very similar um, diagnoses.